thoughtful, focused, fast. That's Lando Norris. He's a rare talent, but even he has moments of doubt. The one thing I think of is, was that my only shot? Was that my only shot of winning a Formula One race in my career? Is that what people are going to speak about in 20 years? Lando could, maybe should, already be a Formula One race winner. But he has confidence in himself and in his McLaren team that another chance at victory is not too far away. Hello everyone, hope you had a good summer break. Welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid. I'm Tom Clarkson and I think you're going to love this conversation with Lando Norris. He's so thoughtful, so honest and so funny too. Lando's speed is unquestionable, proved by pole position at a soaking wet Sochi and by podiums. He's sprayed the champagne six times so far and he's done all of it in arguably a midfield McLaren. He talks about wins that got away, how he felt, what he learnt and what he'd do differently the next time he's fighting at the front and why he's happy to commit to McLaren, sure in the knowledge that he will get another chance to win. There's so much more, so let's get into it. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Lando, it's great to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for your time. You in good shape? Uh, yeah, in every way of life, including body, so I'm happy. <laughs> well, look, we're going to Belgium next. Yeah. How excited are you by Spa? Uh, very excited. One of the coolest tracks on the calendar. A bit of a home track for me because my mum's from Belgium, uh, so I kind of have to count as much of a home track for me as I do a Silverstone uh, to make my mum happy. Every year we go there, a lot of my mum's family are out there, um, cousins and so on. So we'd always go there every year for Christmas or Easter and whatever. I used to spend a lot of time there. So I grew up there in, in some ways. But then secondly, Spa is just an awesome track that uh, I guess I drove since I was, what, 14, Formula 4 already. And um, it never gets old, it never gets any... You know, it always gets better every time you go in a way. So I look forward to going back again this year and making amends for what happened last year. Well, it was a big crash in quali last year, wasn't it? it Are was you going to be flat through Eau Rouge on lap one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a bigger grandstand there now. So more people to impress. So lap one, flat out. If it's, uh, if it's dry, if it's wet, I might have to build up to it a little bit. Um, but if it's dry, normally it's, that's always the challenge is who can do a, a Rouge flat first. Out the box is difficult. Your first pushing lap is is fine, but out the box, that's when you're like... I'm going to set you a challenge because Michael Schumacher was famous for being flat through Eau Rouge yeah. on his out lap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on weather, but we'll see. I'll give it a go. No, no, what, what about the car? Uh, do you expect it to be competitive in Spa? I expect so. I think we've definitely taken some steps forward the last few weekends in Paul Ricard uh, with the upgrades. I think managing to exploit them and use them a little bit more to their potential in Budapest. But it's still a very, very different track. It's, you know, Budapest is every bit of downforce you can put on the car, whereas Spa is you have to be very efficient. You want to kind of have, let's say, low downforce for the straights, but you want a car which produces a lot of downforce at that level for the middle sector. And we have to kind of wait and see how that, how that works. But we've been okay in other places where you've been on that level, similar to... Saudi, for example. So um, I still look forward to it. And it should be a good track. You say you don't know what to expect from the performance, but do you still enter every weekend aiming for the podium? Uh, no, not at all. 
podium. Yeah. No, I wish. Gosh. No. Imola seems not. like a long time ago. Imola, I said, I think I said to someone else the other day, I still don't understand how I was on the podium in Imola. Because our car is like one and a bit seconds off. And for me to achieve a podium in Imola is like, I don't understand how. You had like so many cars, which people don't realize are so much quicker than us at that point of the season. If you look at the, the race traits from the Alfa Romeo of Bottas, he's like half a second lap quicker the whole race. The whole race. I guess starting in third always helps. That's where I qualified. It seems like a better qualifying car than race car. Is That's that true? Fair? That's true. In, in a way. I don't think you can use that completely because like Budapest, for example, or maybe not so much Paul Ricard, but I guess what? Four tenths off pole, I end up 62 seconds off the car in front of me in the race. But then the Alpine, like what people don't see, see as much is like the GPS to see where we're quicker than other people and so on. The Alpine is quicker through the whole racetrack than me, bar the last corner. Somehow I just had a magical last corner. I was like one of the quickest guys on the whole grid, quicker than like some of the Red Bulls and Ferraris, Mercedes. And uh, that saved me. That put me ahead of, of both the Alpines. If I didn't have such a good last corner, I would have been behind both of them. That's fascinating. What were you doing yeah. through that 180 no degree? If you do know, I, you no, absolutely no. I mean, I, it's nothing, no secret. It's just uh, everyone can see what I'm doing. They can watch on boards, they see my data, but it's all to do with the wind. The wind was quite strong in qualifying. You had a tailwind in and a big headwind out. So it's all trying to do everything you can to get into the headwind as quickly as possible in a way. So uh, maximizing the entry and turning as early as possible. And then as soon as you get into the headwind, you can just go full chat. You can go flat out. And um, that's all I was trying to achieve. And I guess I achieved it in the end and it saved my, my whole weekend. Yeah, little, little things like that, which people don't see or realize that the Alpines would have both been ahead of me by the last corner. Uh, that's how I my whole weekend, you know, ahead of them then, ahead of them in the race, score some good points, go equal in points for the constructors on that weekend. And uh, I think as yeah. soon as they put the hard tires on. Yes. But your was, your yeah. pit wall was going... We'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, hard tyres were on our plan initially. So um, I think we just did a very good job in adapting to realising the conditions made it not a hard stint race. If it was a hot like Friday, I think the hards would have worked well or better. I pushed a lot for a soft start. Um, I didn't think I would dig off as quickly as I did because even like seven laps in or so, I had Hamilton behind. Uh, I see that front left just going lap after lap just dying away and I was like this is really not going to plan maybe I should have listened to what my strategist said but I really pushed for the for the soft start because I thought personally that would be the, the best thing for us and it turned out to be let's say true in some ways I think if we did a hard start maybe we would have still finished ahead of Alpine but just nowhere near as comfortably you know it would have been maybe two seconds ahead and uh, therefore I would have much preferred my race that I had now and doing soft medium then well I still did soft medium hard but uh yeah, soft hard or medium hard would have been a much more difficult race. It's fascinating to get your analysis of, of the race afterwards. But last time you were on the show, uh, back in March 2020, you hadn't even stood on a podium. Oh, that was a pre You've now huh? done it six times. Yeah. Which has been the most satisfying? The first one. First one in your career. First one in Formula One. I think we did it in a cool way as well on the final lap of the race. Uh, with my engineer coming on the radio and so on and like not actually knowing if I was on the podium or not and just being the first one I think that makes that's always very special that's one I'll remember for forever here in Austria Lando Norris
Norris gets on the podium for the first time in Formula One because of Lewis Hamilton's penalty. He put in the fastest lap of the race on the last lap of the race, and by a tenth of a second, Lando Norris is a podium sitter. McLaren are on the podium. When you got the message over the radio, you've got one and a half laps to yeah. make up one and a half seconds yeah. on Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> what was the first thing that went through your mind? Yeah, no chance. <laughs> I was like, how, why, are they, why are they even telling me this? What do they expect I'm going to do? But uh, back then it was when you can have, you had engine modes to kind of use up and, and stuff. But the more you use them, the, like, the less you have in the future, let's say. So you have to choose wisely when to use it. And this is when we, we turned it up a little bit. The car was performing very well that weekend. Uh, that was obvious. And um, yeah, I just gave it my best shot. I, did, I really didn't think it was possible. I know everyone says, oh, he's always got to believe in it and whatever, but I tend not to believe in too many things until they happen. Well, how helpful was your engineer, Will Joseph? Because it seemed to me like he guided you around that final lap. In a way, I feel like I still did my own job. <laughs> and I still drove I'm the car. I'm taking nothing away from <laughs> you, but, but 100%. Hamilton is 6.5 ahead. He also has a five-second penalty. Little things, or, I mean, big things, you know, a bit of engine mode is, say, one-tenth, uh, one-and-a-half-tenths through the last lap and a bit. Stay in scenario seven until turn three. Track obstruction, turn one. Optimising the, the car and the, and the balance, you would say, is another tenth-and-a-half or so, or two-tenths. Using the, the battery, it's pretty much empty by the end of the lap. Again, could be easily two three tenths single press and overtake here and out of turn three out of turn eight press and hold overtake for five seconds when you just put all of that together you know that's what i needed that's the the tenths of a second that that i needed to achieve what i did so crucial give it everything out of the last corner as well overtake uh, i'm not saying i wouldn't have been able to do what i did without him um some things i still would have been able to do but uh just optimizing the places to do it and stuff is um is always a help for him to Lando the gap to Hamilton was 4.8 4.8 I think that's a podium mate I think that's a podium <laughs> and all of that rewarded you with a bear hug from Zach Brown oh, a big bear <laughs> hug I remember is that. it true that he cracked a rib he's that he hugged I, you so I, hard I would put a lot of money down saying he did because I genuinely I was really struggling for the next few weekends with my ribs and just my breathing and everything. So I was <laughs> I was really struggling. You know what? Just when something happens and you just think for like a little second, like, oh, something doesn't like that didn't feel quite right. Like I've had it with my neck sometimes and whatever. And you just think, oh, something just something happened. And the next day you realize like, oh, actually something really did happen. So I was that, but it was, um, I don't say worth it, but it was um, a reward, I guess. <laughs> it was a memorable day. And, and that race came after the enforced break due to the COVID pandemic. Can we just reflect on that quickly? How did the time away from racing change you? I think one way it changed me is I did so much sim racing. I did so much that uh, I took a step away from it for, well, I would say I was still taking a step away from it. I've really not been on my, my simulator at home much at all since COVID because I did so much. But as a person, um, I guess I still just grew up a little bit and shaved all my hair off. I just did a, a few different things, but I don't know how much it changed me as a as a person and my personality and whatever. You said at the time it was your longest time out of a race car 
ever for as long as you can remember yeah or, or go-kart for the same instance so i think since i started 2007 i've never been out of you know racing for that long yeah months and months longer than i've ever been before normally it's you know a couple of weeks or so uh, did it maximum. make you realize how much you love it oh yes for sure I just struggle to find things to do that I that I enjoy or that I'm good at. Uh, obviously, I got into golf a lot during COVID, and that's where my love for golf started a lot more. But definitely, like even after a couple of weeks, you enjoy a couple of weeks away and you think, "Oh, this would be a nice break." But then uh, after that, you're like, mm, "I've got nothing else to do now. I just want to get back in the car." So uh, yeah, definitely. Lando, why do you love golf quite so much? I have no idea. <laughs> Are you an obsessive character? I would say so. Like my mind is very obsessive with when I want to do something well, I really want to make sure I do it well. And I hate losing. I think that's obvious from within racing. If you want to be a competitor and you want to win races, then you've got to hate losing. So uh, I have that. I guess a lot of my friends do it as well. So I hate losing to them. That motivates me. I play against Zach. Um, sadly, I lose against him sometimes, so that motivates me. Only um, sometimes, though. So sometimes it's, it's uh, we're we're split. I would say I'm on the upper end now, but when he has a good day and me had a bad day, uh, like yesterday, then uh, yeah, he can have the better of me and he can beat me. Can we say where you were yesterday? Trump Turnbury up in Scotland, my first uh, Lynx course. Um, I don't know the true definition of a Lynx course, but it's uh, what like seaside, windy, windy quite bumpy you know it's not very flat fairways so the ball can just bounce and kind of go in all different directions the the rough so beside the fairways is generally very long um so you have to the tendency is you need to be a bit more accurate maybe not go for quite as much distance because the ball will bounce and roll further than than normal but it was my first experience of that and the wind was like 35 miles an hour at times so when my ball would go in a certain direction by accident it would go a very, very long way in that direction. So it was tough, but it was a, it was a cool experience for me. Is one of the reasons you love golf because it's only your performance that matters, whereas in Formula One, there are so many other factors at play. That can be a very big part of it. The fact that I, I cannot use any excuse, it's simple. You can't use like golf. I mean, you can blame your club sometimes. Sadly, I'm two clubs down at the minute because of anger. Hang on, what, what? You've broken the clubs? Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm not very proud of it. That's how angry I get. I guess it's, it's, it's common for golfers at times, but it is true. And I think that's what makes it even worse and better at the same time. That when you do well, you know, it's all down to you doing a better job. When you do worse, it's the same reason though. It's down to you just doing a worse job. You're not being as accurate, your timing's being out, whatever. So you have no excuses, which is the problem. Therefore, it's all on you. And therefore, you feel more satisfied when you do a good job and you feel more disappointed when you do a bad job. But uh, that's definitely a big part of why I like it. Because you always think that you can do better, which is a problem. I always give myself that hope every now and then that I can do better and come back and have a better day. And uh, it's very rarely true that that happens. So you play with Zach. Do you play with Daniel? Um, No, sadly not. He's my first Formula One teammate that's not into golf in any way. We did some putting in the brand centre. I mean, to be fair, he's only your second Formula One team. I know. I know that's why I said it. um, No, he's not into golf. Are you into UFC? That's his thing, isn't it? Uh, Maybe not as much as him. You know, he reenacts it at times just on his own. He just gets into these weird positions. Um, 
But uh, no, I mean, I watch it. I watch UFC sometimes uh, when there's some some good ones on. But uh, yeah, we I guess we just have different interests. You know, we're different ages. We grew up in in different periods of time, and uh, yeah, we have different interests altogether. He drinks a lot of wine and stuff like that, and uh, he has his own. That's wine. the last I know. Mm. Exactly, and that's the last thing I could ever want to do in my life is drink wine for enjoyment because I hate it so much. So <laughs> we're very different. How is the relationship with Daniel different to how it was with Carlos, Carlos Sainz? I think one one thing is we're at different periods of our careers. You know, he's probably more like uh, three quarters of the, of the way through it, just or mid- midway, three quarters of the way through it, just because of, of age difference. Um, so he's experienced a lot more than what Carlos did. And I guess Carlos was seen as a, a bit more of a, in some ways, a direct competitor because we were both relatively new to Formula One still. He is what, in his fourth year or something, which is where I am now. Still, it's still seen as just like two young guys going against each other. Uh, whereas myself and Daniel is a little bit more seen as, you know, him being the experienced one and, and me the the newbie. So it's um, different in that way. And like I said, we're also then between Carlos and myself, we both have a lot more interest in common, whether that was golf or um, sim racing. A lot of what we wanted to do away from Formula One or even in Formula One was similar. So we're competitive in basically everything we did in our lives. And he lived here, you know, same as now me living in Monaco and he's in there as well. But we lived here, we'd go for dinner sometimes, not like romantic ones, but yeah. So we kind of just grew up a little bit more together in a way. Um, he taught me many things because it was still, I was at that point of my career. I guess we were just a little bit more like, like just general friends because similar ages, similar interests. Whereas I see Daniel a little bit more of a, just like the guy with more experience and I can learn different things off of him. Still good friends but just uh, not so close away from the racetrack just because we live quite different lives. So Carlando was a thing, but Darlando yeah, is Darlando. not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we still have our, our laughs and we still have a lot of good moments together and times and, and giggles, whatever. But yeah, I don't know. People remember Carlando more than, than uh, Darlando, I think. How quick is Daniel? I mean, I think he's proven it in his career, how quick he is, what he achieved. When joining Red Bull, you know, the wins he did, he never won a boring race, I don't think. He always won uh, an exciting one, did it in style. Uh, he proved many times, you know, in Monaco, when he had to deliver in qualifying and stuff like that, he could uh, he could do exactly that. So I don't need to say it. I think everyone knows how good he is and what he can achieve. And when you look at the data, do you drive in very different ways? We do. We do drive in different ways. And therefore, what we request from the car is quite different. You know, there's been things saying where he doesn't uh, suit the car and all of that stuff. And everyone thinks that I do suit the car and the car's made around me and all of that stuff. But it couldn't be more untrue. Not that I hate driving the car. I, I'm driving now, but it's very unsuited to my driving style. And I'll say in the beginning of the year, it suited Daniel a lot more than it suited me in terms of how you had to drive it. And uh, that's something I, I really struggled with in the beginning of the season and I'm coping with or I've adapted to a lot more now and let's say more well suited to it but it's far from a car that I would want in an ideal world and say if I want to go out and do the best lap possible and give me that car to do so it's definitely not the car that I that I have now so uh, there are big differences I would say at times sometimes more similar but what we want from the car and how we drive it is it is quite different. Has the team adapted the car to you or have you had to adapt to the car? I've had to adapt a lot more to the car. There's not a lot the team can do for me in terms of car. 
they just make it as quick as possible, like all round, you know, it's not like Lando said this and we're just going to do that. And Daniel, like, we're not going to do that. Like, that's just, that's just uh, stupid to ever think of. So I request things and I say, you know, this is the direction I want to go in. But uh, it's not like they just go and focus simply on that in the wind tunnel. They just go, can we add more rear here? Can we add more front? And they just trying to uh, achieve that. So no, by by no means is it uh, anywhere near more adapted to me than to him. I feel like I'm driving a pretty, say, similar car in, in terms of characteristics as a as a car I drove uh, in my first year of Formula One. It's changed in, in little ways, but um, nothing I would say now is more adapted to me than it was in my first year of racing. You say you're in year four of your Formula One career. Is this where you expected to be at this stage of your career? In a way, I did not not expect it, let's say. It's not, not um, a surprise that I am like, or we are as a team where we are. As a driver, I think I'm in a better position than I thought, you know, having a, I don't even know what it is, a four-year contract to the end of 25. I feel like that's been better than what I was expecting coming into Formula One. Uh, a team wanting me so much and me performing well enough for them to want me. So that's definitely better. I know it's like a, definitely a good thing, a very good thing to, to have, to know, to feel, um, which I'm very happy with. Uh, in terms of performance and where we are with a car, it's always hard to know or to have too high expectations. You know, especially myself, I tend not to have too high. And there's always a possibility of having a great car or all of a sudden a bad car, you know, like we saw with Mercedes at the beginning of this year. I mean, they say that they struggled. It's still like they still finished on the podium quite reg regularly and it wasn't like they had a bad car. But uh, I did expect to be a little bit closer than what we are now. It's been the same scenario since I started that we're in this mid-pack, generally a little bit towards the front of it. And um, the goal is to get to Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. And uh, that's been the story for what, the last four years now. So, You are a generational talent You've proven that with your speed. I'm fascinated that you don't set your expectations that high. Yeah, I mean, I just go for the simple one. I set them low and overachieve and that makes me happy. I, Underpromise, I overachieve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like I'm talking to Jackie Stewart. That's very much a <laughs> Jackie. did as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love Jackie. Uh, in, in a way, and I see a lot more enjoyment coming from it in, from that perspective uh, as well. There are certainly a lot of things which I set myself a very high target of. And also that's why I'm... I mean, I'm sure there's been interviews where I've not been happy with you and uh, not with you personally, but I've just not been happy with because I've made mistakes in qualifying and, and the race. And even if it's a good qualifying, I have to be happy with it because it's been a good qualifying, but I know I could have gone two tenths quicker or three tenths quicker if I just did a better lap. That puts a bigger smile on my face if I know that I've done everything I can rather than just being in the, a very good position, you know. So maybe it would be different if you're on pole position, but if you're on pole position, just do a good lap you're happy, you're on pole position. But if you're on pole position and you know you've nailed the lap, in terms of, of happiness and uh, accomplishment, then that's just a way, way higher one than just doing an average lap, so. How good was your pole lap in Russia last year? Is that the best quality oh, lap you've ever driven? I would say so. Okay, uh, pole position, mate, pole position. The most nerve-wracking, the most risky in a way, you know, because it was what we just decided to go onto slicks for the first time and you have one shot, you have one chance to achieve it. And, um, you know, every single corner, like literally every corner, you break later than you ever think you want to. 
just because you think someone else is going to try and break late, I've got to try and outdo them. And you think that for, for everything, you think someone else is going to try and do a better job than I can here. Um, so you push every limit, you push the entry, you push the braking. The line, you know, the line was so narrow. You put one wheel too tight, you lock the inside, you go off. One wheel too wide, the outside wheel with all the load gets wet, you're off in the wall probably pretty hard. Every single corner, I felt like I risked everything, but uh, it paid off. I would say in my career in terms of like a proper accomplishment, nailing a lap and everything that I've learned coming, kind of coming into it, that's the one I would say I'm definitely most proud of. And how different did it feel waking up on race morning, knowing that you were on pole and how did you feel? Did you think that was the one? For sure. It's still like hard to think, you know, just because it wasn't like we had the best car or anything like that. We had a, a car, which is what, a second lap off uh, Mercedes and stuff like that. But uh, it just, it really puts a big smile on, on, or did put a big smile on my face. The fact I knew like, cause I just think of it in the simple terms. I got pole in Formula One and that's something like uh, I still think back to of a kid, like watching Fernando against Lewis in what, 07, 08. Just watching Formula One growing up and thinking like how cool it is to achieve these things. And now I managed to do it, especially because I did it that way, not because I had the best car and whatever. But uh, when you do it in the way I did it, I feel like it was a, a bigger accomplishment. And um, yeah, thinking of it in a, in a more simple term that um, I just got pole position in Formula One. And today I'm at the front of the grid. The eyes are on me, like uh, makes you a little bit more nervous for sure. But there's not many feelings which, uh, which beat it, I would say. Oh, Lando, that, that was a race you should have won. I don't, I I don't want to dwell on the near misses, but do, do you dwell on it still? Uh, I do at times. Obviously, we won the race previously in Monza. Won two with, with Daniel. Well, again, talking of near misses, a brilliant second place for you. Yeah. But is there a little bit of you that thinks, oh, I could have won that one as well? Uh, there is. There is, sadly. I think what I have to be careful with on this one is I, I don't think I can say that I would have won it because we would have had to fight for it. None of us would have made it easy for each other. But I could have given it a shot. It was a shot that I missed out on. And um, I guess it's a, a little bit frustrating because of that. A shot that I could have had a chance of winning a race and I didn't even take that shot. So a little bit frustrated with it, but I think I made amends for it on the following week in, in Russia. Those closing laps. Yeah. When the rain came. Everyone threw everything at me in this race and it just wasn't meant to be. The rain has come down and Hamilton takes the lead of the race as Lando Norris slides off the track and avoids the barriers, manages to keep going, but Hamilton takes the lead. But I still feel like I did a very good job and uh, people blame me a lot for it. I don't want to say I'm blaming the team. Who blames you? I don't think anyone blames you. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that do. Not, uh, not in terms of team, but uh, in terms of public and so on. Yeah, they say listen to the team, but the team didn't tell me to do anything. <laughs> so there's nothing to listen about. It's just, what do you think of the tires? I was like, well, I think of this, but that was it, so. If we had that scenario again, yeah. Would you do things differently? I'm not talking about the end result, but just in terms of your 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 yes. conversations yeah, yeah. with the team over the radio. Uh, yeah. The only one is just the way I say things over the radio, which are so different to how I feel I say them when I'm in the car. I need three flags. What are they doing? Okay, Lando, Hamilton has taken it. He's gone to an inter. Yes, I see. I see. 
We just got a commit to stay. It's so wet, boys. Okay. I got a box. I want to shut. Yep, we're going to come in. I this can't line. do this. We're going to come in. We're going to box. Okay, Lando, we're boxing this lap. Pit lane very slippery. Yes, box. Yeah, I need silver. D9. Yes, confirm. I need silver D9 before you come to a stop. We finished P7. I know I was stressed uh, leading the race. Lewis has just caught me up. He's a lot quicker. It's raining. I like this is everything that can go wrong kind of going wrong. At the same time, I felt you know very much as in my zone of like this is what I felt like. You know, I grew up driving on slicks in the rain. I love doing that in go karting, um, and probably the same for Lewis. You know, he had those stories. So I felt like that was that was me, and I felt very comfortable at the same time as uncomfortable as I was with slicks in the rain with Lewis behind me uh, for a win um, I felt very comfortable with the situation I was in but the the way I come across on a on the radio is so different to how I feel I say it at the time you know I feel like I'm just saying it um, but then you know, I hear myself on the radio I'm like why am I screaming like why am I sounding like a little baby yeah so I just need to be careful even now with with other things I need to be careful of the way I think I'm saying it differently to how to, they might portray it then, but not too many things. I'm not saying like if we did the same again and I said something in a different way, it would have changed the outcome. I don't think that's uh, that's that was the issue, let's say. But definitely there's every now and then times where things that I say or how I say them will get portrayed in a different way and then kick off decisions that the team will make um, to box me, to not to box me and so on. And uh, I guess I just think of that more now because of that situation than what I, I did then. you really do have to feel for him because this could have been win number one without the rain it would have been win number one and after the disappointment of Monza where he finished second to his teammate it was his career best finish but it was still disappointing this is going to be utter heartbreak for Lando Norris and for McLaren so we've established that you could have should have would have won a few races by now the fact that that hasn't happened does it play on your mind? Do you worry no. that you won't get the success you deserve in Formula One? There's the one thing I think of is, was that my only shot? And I, I hate thinking it because I also want to believe, like as a team, we're going to be winning races in a few years. But you never know in Formula One, which is the issue. You never know where you can be or what can happen. So there's a couple of times when I just thought, hmm, was that my only shot of winning a Formula One race in my, my career? Is that what people are going to speak about in 20 years? Oh, you should have won that race in Russia, blah, blah, blah. That's the only thing, but I, I think that very rarely, probably two or three times I've thought of that. But the rest of it I still see as, as a team, two or three years, that's when um, our times will come. The guys and girls at the MTC will certainly be hoping that there's lots of success around the corner. You're, you've committed to the team till the end of 2025. Can you feel McLaren gravitating around you? I think the feeling is that they just know I have uh, faith in them. And I think that's such a good thing to have. Um, the fact I would sign a contract like that. The fact I also, like I know in the short term, I wasn't going to win races, you know. I know that last year I wasn't going to win. This year I'm not going to win. Uh, next year, there's still a reasonable chance that we that we won't win. And uh, I signed up knowing all of that. So it's it's not like I signed up for any other reason bar knowing that long term I have the faith that we can achieve things to, uh, together and I think that will make things sweeter than just joining a team which has a chance of winning races you know I think um, 
the story of me being with the team since whatever the revolution of everything um in terms of mclaren changing a lot of things with, within the within the team and and being in that point and going to eventually winning races i think that makes a much cooler story than just joining a team that can that has a car that can win races um and i think therefore it'll, it'll mean more than that scenario in your mind lando is it 2024 is that is 20, that what you're looking at 24 i would say is probably the one of the first times let's say we we shouldn't have any excuses in in a way not that we have a whole book of them at the minute but there are genuine reasons not not excuses but reasons why other teams are doing better than us at, the, at this minute which is just a fact you know it's just how formula one works and we know those reasons which is a good thing obviously and uh we know that in a few years we shouldn't have those reasons anymore. So I guess that's what we look forward to. But we also know that there are things now we're not doing well enough, which when that time might come, we need to make sure we're doing a better job of and, um, and maximizing if we want to be on the same level as, as the top teams. Does McLaren have everything it needs to win races and world championships? It's just a case of pulling it all together now. In a way, I, th I think there's still some various things which uh, are being worked on at the minute. Um, and gives me even even more say hope for the for the future. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say we have everything we need at the minute. You know, we have the new wind tunnel coming and and new simulator. Um, so there are definitely a few various things which will just help us take a step. It's not going to not help us in any way. You know, it's it's only going to help us, which is always a good thing. And a few other other things which um, we need just to compete at the same level as uh, as the top teams and. Um, but that's something I've, you know, a lot of faith in the in the team with, uh, and we have a strong team. I think at the minute, in terms of culture, in terms of atmosphere within, I think we're definitely in the best place we've ever been. Quick word on Lando the man. How are you dealing with the stresses and strains of being a Formula One driver? Do you feel on top of everything? Uh, yes, better than ever with all of that stuff. You know, even with the the social media, all of that. Uh, I definitely in the best place. I feel like I'm in the best place with my. Uh, I think we spoke about like with life outside of Formula One and um, and just getting the balance right of doing Formula One. And, you know, I've never called Formula One a, a job because I don't think it's a job. It's something that I love and it's just a bonus. I get paid to do it. But uh, even if I didn't get paid, I would still just love to do what I do, you know, because it's the coolest thing in the world. So, yeah, I have that. But just life outside of Formula One and, you know, running my, my esports team. Um, looking after that and just enjoying my friends time family time I found like a much better balance of all of that and I think that's very important and it takes a few years to really understand how much you can do of, of either of these but uh, making sure that I I have days off that I can go and enjoy other things rather than we all know what that is yeah <laughs> being on the golf course um, but just at least having some time to do that because that brings me more performance on a racetrack than if I didn't do that. When everyone gets these weird ideas that, you know, you should oh, you should only think of Formula One 24 seven and why you're not in the factory every single day and all of that stuff. Um, it's because they're not me, they don't know how, and if they were in a situation, situation of being in my booth and they'd probably be saying the same things. So it's, it's just uh, finding the perfect balance of being able to relax and knowing exactly what, as a driver, brings me the most performance on, on track. And, and that isn't about thinking of Formula One every single minute or every single day, but it's about being able to take some time off, clear your head, come back and 
uh, because I have a very short attention span with with things. If I think about it too much, I would just lose it. I'm not as not as concentrated as I as I should be. So, doing um a little bit less, but then you know more efficient work, more efficient preparation. That's what makes the difference for me. So I think that's where I've improved over the last couple of years is um working in like my off track stuff to improve my on track stuff. Do you still have your notebooks? I still have my notebooks. What do we call them? The technical notebooks. Wait, wait don't know for each track. Are. Um, I do. Yes. So every track that I've I've been to now, I've I've got notes on, and uh, it's all like I guess a lot of it's just written in my my own words. You know, it's just only stuff that I will be able to relate to in a way, um, whether it's breaking points or bumps or curves uh, or feelings. Like I would just you know I'll write something as simple as um, turning when you feel this. And as a probably a, someone who doesn't drive a car, you look at it and think, what the hell does that mean? But um, it's just every feeling that I have, you know, that when I turn, I feel like I'm doing this with my feet and my body feels that and whatever. Um, and trying to recreate those or know when I get on track and I can recreate it, that that's where I was at that point last year. What happens if you lose one of these notebooks? Um, I don't think it'll be the end of the world. Uh, it would just... Uh, I mean, I tend to lose things quite often, so there's always the possibility of it, which is a uh, which is the problem. But um, yeah, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It would just be that uh, I just won't start weekends off quite as well as what I I do now. Well, Lando, quick word on merch. You're selling a lot of it now. What is Quadrant? Uh, we had our merch drop yesterday, actually. Um, it's our off-road collection. It's very nice kind of looks like the Subaru logo or and the the McLaren Swish actually exactly it's a bit of a mixture of both Zach would prefer that yes he would (laughs) but when I grew up I loved Subaru and like I was really into rallying and um Richard Burns I got I remember having a little rally car Richard Burns I could change the wheels on it and do pit stops and whatever but Richard Burns was a the a guy I supported massively not actually many people I don't think I've ever said this before but uh, the the blue Subaru with the yellow and the the, the fluorescent yellow, um, man, this was like the coolest thing ever when I was growing up. So uh, I was a massive fan of of him driving this car. This was, must have been when I was like four or five years old, in fact. So this before I got into Formula One in in, in any way, and uh, that's my love. So I just wanted to bring that back into it a little bit, you know, just because it was something I've always loved and dreamed of but yeah quadrant is quadrant's going very well at the minute we did our merch drop yesterday uh we sold out in 32 minutes that's mad <laughs> which was uh a lot quicker than expected but uh i guess it's a, a good thing at the Can same you put time some numbers on that how much have you sold no i can't oh, okay. i can't put numbers on it uh, mainly because I don't know, but, <laughs> <laughs> not because I don't want to share it. Because I mean, yeah. but someone is busy manufacturing more yes, right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, um, no, actually, no. Once it's sold out, it's sold out. That's um, that's life in uh, that's life for the apparel stuff. So, yeah, just a good thing. Of course, we'll probably up the numbers a bit for next time, but uh, it's going very well. And I, it's just a little bit of me away from Formula One. You know, it's just me. It's just Lando. It's got nothing to do with uh, with racing a bit more of me and obviously the gaming side of things and sometimes that has nothing to do with racing so uh yeah it's cool it's just where i get to express myself in a different way and just show what i love and enjoy so the off-road collection was a little bit inspired by the me loving rallying when i was growing up the subaru with with richard burns and that side of it so like we went up to cumbria sadly i wasn't allowed to go out in the rally car 
that we uh, we did, but um, we were with M Sport and we had the Rally 2 car there. It was in the quadrant, all vinyled up and it was freaking, it was awesome. And uh, my friend, my girlfriend also went out in it. So I don't think she really knew what was going on. Like the, the fear, like she didn't have the fear that she should have had. She um, will now. She I, No, I don't know, <laughs> you know, because obviously if I went out, I know like, if he just does this a bit wrong, I mean that tree right there, you know, I don't think she she knew that, like what could go wrong in in a way. So yeah, but it's going very well. I have my Halo team, uh, which is like the first proper esports team I have uh, or roster that I have uh, within Quadrant, and they're doing extremely well. They came out to France, I invited them out to France with us. So they were in the paddock, they were in the the brand center. They came into the garage a few times. So uh, yeah, it was cool to to finally meet all of them because I didn't meet them until like what, since COVID or something. But they've, they've been doing very well. I think they're like number two EU team at the minute. And they've been, uh, yeah, very competitive. Fighting the top guys, but they also got a lot of grand finals coming up um, in Seattle, I think it is. Uh, not too far away. So it's good. Yeah, life's good, like I said. And that includes everything outside of Formula 1. And for everyone who's bought some of your merch, yeah. you are a hugely popular driver. I, I think the second most popular according to the fan survey. Yes. So you need to sort that out. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, you know, what does Lando Norris stand for? What are these? I think largely kids probably yeah. buying into when they purchase one of your, let's say, t-shirts or one of the tops that you're wearing now. I want to believe that the reason they support me and I want to wear my things and so on, and what they probably like is that they can identify with me very well, and they see a lot of normality in me that they can see with themselves. You know. So whether it's me going home and just playing games on whatever game it is, FIFA, Call of Duty, Halo, um, racing games, it's something that, that they probably love doing at the same time. And um, that's a, immediately they just think, oh, he's doing that, I'm doing that. That's awesome. Something so simple, but very not effective because I'm not trying to use it in a way, but um, something that just is a reason why a lot of people support me and, and love me. Probably hate me for the same way. And just that, you know, when I'm in Formula One, I just uh, I just want to have a good time. You know, I, I want to win more than anything. I want to win and I put every bit of effort into into winning. But I want to enjoy every minute that I'm there at the same time. And I do get frustrated and so on and I'm definitely not always happy. But um, I just want to enjoy it. So that's why you see, you know, me laughing a lot and, and joking around a lot. And just because that's what I want to be surrounded by. I want to be surrounded by enjoyment and fun. Because um, before you know it, you're probably at the end of your career and you think... Uh, that's racing done and uh, life's short. So I just want to enjoy every minute I can. And it's just unrelatable with them. So I feel like that's a, that's a big bonus. Um, but I want to be known as, you know, I'm still in the early stages of my career. And like with Seb leaving, there's, there's boots to fill in and, and so on in, in various ways. Um, and that's something I, I think I would want to slowly fill a couple of years down the line or a few years down the line, not like right now, because they're big boots to fill, but also just a, a guy who does work very hard and a guy who means well in every situation. Whether it's something that I've said in social media or I say in an interview and people portray in a way which is completely wrong. Like people don't know how much respect I have for for Lewis or for Seb or whoever. And I might say something which people then think, well, why are you, why are you saying this about them and whatever? But I feel like I'm too honest sometimes with some of the things I say, but it's just a lot of it is also facts and people just don't want to believe it. And uh, therefore a lot of people hate it at the same time. So I just want people to know that uh, whatever things I say, I always mean well, like 
I'm not the kind of guy, I, just because that's me, but I'm not the kind of guy who says things to annoy people or uh, that's just not, not who I am. So I just want to enjoy what I do and that's pretty much it. So I mean well in, in everything I say or do because I see a lot of things where people don't think that. And um, that's probably one, the, one of the few things which still annoys me that I see about myself is the fact that people would say that I'm, not that I mean, but that I, I don't have respect for the people I have, sh should have respect for and stuff like that. And that could not be further from, from the truth. So uh, it just, it's a shame, let's say. I feel ashamed that people see me thinking that I'm saying stuff like that um, in that way. And uh, that's just something I, I don't want to happen, but I feel like will always happen in this world that we're living in now with people being offended by <laughs> every word in the dictionary somehow offends people. That's just the way of, of life nowadays, sadly. But yeah, as long as people know that if I've said something, I just mean it as a, as a fact, um, but also that I would never want to hurt someone or disregard them or disrespect them in any way. So as long as that happens, then everything's creepy and everything's fine. Very well said. And thank you very much for coming back on the show. I feel we no could problem. have talked all morning, but you've got to go and get on the sim and I do. get ready for Full spa. Full day simulator, got spa prep, Netherlands. Busy day. Busy day. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Lando's in a good place, isn't he? He's such an engaging character and so fast in a racing car. He really made me laugh during that chat, and I love what he says about wanting to enjoy his journey in Formula One. If he's able to do that, I have no doubt he'll get even better as a driver. Thanks again for your time, Lando. It was great to chat, and best of luck for the rest of the season. As ever, if you have any thoughts or stories you'd like to share about Lando, then please get in touch. Send them to me at TomClarksonF1 on Twitter, or use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. I'll then read out a handful at the end of next week's show. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Bayat Zender after our last episode. What an F1 legend that man is. Let's start with this from Shane Bucks. What a fascinating listen. To hear all of the names Bayat has worked with is only something some could dream of. Plus, you don't hear of many who stick with one team for more than 30 years. You're absolutely right, Shane. Bayat's CV is a who's who of Formula One, and he's remained loyal to Sauber despite some big money offers from rivals. He's a special man. And what about this from Doc Producer? As a Swiss, it was such a joy to listen to the whole story of the team just down the road. This was an outstanding episode and that summer break was well earned. Well, thanks, Doc. And Bayat tells a good story, doesn't he? And finally, let's hear from Matt Alford. What a great podcast. Bayat explains things so simply and tells some amazing stories from the exciting period of early 90s Formula One. He's a very interesting guy. I'd heard about him over the years of following F1 and it was great to hear his story and insights. Well, thanks for the note, Matt. I've done many interviews on F1 Beyond the Grid and this one with Bayat was definitely one of my favourites. We'll leave the messages there for this week. But thanks to everyone who got in touch. I love hearing from you. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories about Lando Norris as well. And if you fancy hearing more from Lando, have a listen to his first Beyond the Grid interview recorded back in March 2020. There's a link to that episode in the description. 
And while you're on your podcast app, please follow F1 Beyond the Grid. Maybe leave us a rating or a review as well. And share this episode with a friend or your fellow F1 fans on social. Thanks for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.